Do you hate being stuck in traffic? Are you sick of breathing polluted air? Don't you ache for better public transport? Don't you wish you could walk and cycle without fear on our streets? Join me on this podcast that demystifies urban transport planning in India and what we could do to transform it. I'm Shreya Gadepalli and I lead the South Asia program of the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy, a global network that works with cities worldwide to design, implement and promote urban transport solutions that reduce pollution, alleviate poverty and enhance the quality of life for all. Let me start with a question and then a story. Where does the sun rise from? You must be thinking, what a foolish question. East, of course. You're right, that was a foolish question. And east is the wrong answer. You see, the sun doesn't rise. It is the earth that rotates. That brings me to two points. First, that what appears to be true may not be true. And second, wrong questions lead to wrong answers. Remember that always. Let me tell you a story of three women, Tara, Lali, and Lachmi. True to her name, Tara is a rising star in the field of consulting. She recently got a big raise too. You see, consultants are in high demand these days. Maybe you want to be one too? Tara goes around town in her car. Gone are college days, traveling in a bus packed like sardines. But her travel woes continue. Every day, she gets stuck in traffic. She's angry that the city isn't building a flyover at the new town junction. She also hates to pay for parking at the mall. Why isn't it free like it is on the streets, she wonders. She keeps nudging her husband, who by the way happens to be the municipal commissioner, to do something. Enter Lali, the 60-year-old maid at Tara's place. She used to live inside the city, but not anymore. Two years back, a slum was erased. Now, each morning, she has to travel for an hour and a half, first on foot, then a shared auto, then a bus, then walk again. Evenings are worse. Each month, 2,000 rupees from her meager salary of 10,000 vanishes on transport. She is often sick from pollution, but she can't skip work. She's a sole bread earner for her home. Lakshmi, Lali's granddaughter, is the final character in our story. She's A and goes to school. Her grandmother's clear she can become another low-paid maid. On the walk to school, Lakshmi has to cross an eight-lane highway. There isn't a safe crossing for miles, so what does she do? Dart across as fast as she can. But scared as hell is she. You see, father's no more. On that same highway, a speeding car hit him and vanished. A grim tale, isn't it? But that is the truth about transport in India. For every Tara in India, there are 20 Lalis and Lakshmis. Yet, much of transport planning is for Tara and Lali and Lakshmi. They're invisible. You know of a donut, don't you? That delicious sweet confection. Who doesn't like it? But have you heard of donut economics? Kate Roworth, an Oxford economist, has even written a book about it. So imagine a donut with an inner circle and an outer one. In the hole inside the inner circle are most people whose basic human needs are unmet. People like Lakshmi and Lali. 
outside the outer circle is a space of excess consumption that is killing our planet. This is where Tara is. What we need is a safe and just space for humanity. That is the space between the two circles, the inner circle of equity and the outer circle of sustainability. A great person once said, the world has enough for everyone's needs, but not enough for everyone's greed. Go find out who it was. Meanwhile, we are in a state of addiction. And you ask, addiction of what? And I say, the car. Even though just 5% of urban Indians travel on car, much of transport planning revolves around how to keep the car moving non-stop and fast. And getting those cars free homes. I mean, parking. First, we build a flyover, then another on top of it, then another, and another. We live in an illusion of free flow forever. But no city in the world has solved the problem of congestion, let alone mobility, by building wider roads and layers of flyovers. More roads and free parking only invite more people to use personal motor vehicles. Here is a key insight. You cannot cure obesity with bigger pants. And you cannot cure traffic congestion with bigger roads. What about those in buses? A bus passenger on average requires just a tenth of the road space consumed by a car passenger. But they are stuck in traffic jams that are not of their making. And pedestrians and cyclists? Wait, who are they? By the way, did you know that half of all trips in urban India are on foot or bicycles? The problem is that we have been asking the wrong questions all along. We have assumed that there is no choice but to accommodate the unending growth of personal motor vehicles. We then ask questions like, when should we build a flyover? And use thumb rules like, build a flyover when the traffic at the junction exceeds 10,000 PCU. I mean, passenger car units. I often hear the argument that per capita car ownership and use will only increase as incomes grow in India, so it is imperative that cities build more road infrastructure to beat congestion. There is, however, no desirable level of motorization, and a certain level of motorization is not a prerequisite for economic success. Take Singapore, for example, um, a very successful economy. It has just about 13 private motor vehicles per 100 persons or Hong Kong, which has just nine. In comparison, Greater Mumbai has 22 private motor vehicles per 100 persons. Congestion in Mumbai has only worsened in the last two decades, despite more than 50 flyovers being built in the 90s. Delhi is worse. The question we should be asking ourselves is, how can we ensure the mobility of all without destroying our planet? In the remaining part of this podcast, I will address three key things we must do to transform transport in urban India. First, don't miss the bus. Second, park it right. And third, walk the talk. And if time permits, I will also give you a bonus section. Here's part one. Don't miss the bus. Let me ask you a few questions about public transport. Given the option between costly and affordable, what would you choose? Chances are you would opt for affordable. Given the option between flexible and rigid, what would you choose? 
chances are you will prefer flexible. Given the option between frequent and infrequent, what would you choose? Isn't the answer a no-brainer? So when you assess public transport options for investment, keep these three choices in mind. Affordable, flexible, and frequent. Indian cities are enamored by Metro Rail. They are attractive, no doubt, but they are also extremely expensive. On average, a single kilometer of Metro Rail in India costs around 500 crore rupees. That's around 70 million US dollars. Many Indian Metro Rail corridors have very low ridership. Some have as little as 2,500 or even fewer passenger trips per day per kilometer of the line. Can we justify such a high expense for such low ridership? On the other hand, most Indian cities have next to no city buses. For the price tag of one kilometer of Metro Rail, one can easily get 500 high quality buses with all allied infrastructure like good bus stops, terminals, depots, IT systems, you name it. And they can serve as many as half a million passenger trips daily. Buses are affordable, flexible, and can be more frequent than rail systems to serve the same demand. They can provide more direct services, eliminating the need for transfers between lines, and stop more frequently. They shorten the walk trip to and from the stop. No wonder that buses are the backbone of public transport in most cities around the world, either on their own or as a complement to rail systems. Now, rail systems can be appropriate in some contexts but only when a large number of people have to travel long distances on a single line. Most Indian cities do not qualify these criteria. Rarely do corridors in Indian cities have passenger flows of 20,000 or more per direction per hour, a prerequisite for metro rail. Trips in these cities are more distributed with corridor volumes of under 10,000 passengers per hour per direction. And more than half the trips are under five kilometers in length even in large cities. That brings us to the question of how many city buses urban India needs. Shenzhen in China, a city with as many residents as Bengaluru or Chennai, has 16,000 city buses. Bengaluru, meanwhile, has 6,500. Chennai, 3,600. But these are the best amongst Indian cities when it comes to the availability of buses. All of urban India has just around 35,000 public city buses, less than those in Shenzhen and Beijing put together. And these numbers have been stagnant for years while India's urban population continues to grow rapidly. As you can see, much of India is a public transport desert. Does that mean that Indians do not travel on public transport? They do, but mostly on informal public transport modes like privately operated minibuses, shared autos, and e-rickshaws. These modes fill a gaping hole left by public transport services. As per my estimate, we immediately need a five-fold increase in city buses to augment the bare bones or missing services in urban India. But city and state governments are often hesitant in investing in buses. They view bus operations as a loss-making undertaking. It's true that buses don't make money, but are they meant to? And are they the only one getting subsidized? My team and I did an assessment of transport sector spending by government agencies in Chennai. 
one of the better Indian cities in terms of public transport availability and usage. What we found surprised us. Amongst Indian states, the Tamil Nadu government provides better than average financial assistance to city buses. But we often forget that a lot more money is spent on road infrastructure, flyovers, elevated roads, road widening, and carriageway maintenance. That, my friends, is also a form of subsidy. Present road tax collections are insufficient to cover these costs. On average, a bus passenger in Chennai gets a little over 2 rupees of public financial assistance per trip. That is commendable, but an average car user gets 8 times as much subsidy, primarily in the form of public expenditure on road infrastructure. When you count the free parking that most personal motor vehicles enjoy on streets, the government ends up subsidizing car use by around 80 rupees per trip in Chennai. Ask yourself, is that fair? In a democracy, shouldn't everyone get at least the same amount of public financial assistance? And if we really are fair, shouldn't all that public subsidy go to improve the mobility of the underprivileged who depend primarily on walking, cycling and public transportation? Public financial assistance to city bus services should be seen as an investment, not a subsidy, for the well-being of the city and its citizens. Let's assume that Indian cities start investing in buses. That is a great start. But without buses getting priority measures, they will remain stuck in traffic. That is why buses must get the fast lane. Indian cities should implement bus priority lanes and bus rapid transit, or BRT in short. Dedicated bus lanes are not just more efficient use of limited road space, they are also a fair use of public space. In a well-designed BRT, dedicated bus lanes can serve 5 to 10 times more commuters compared to those lanes being used by private motor vehicles. I won't dwell into the details of BRT now, that can be the topic of another podcast. But let us be clear that BRT is not an old ramshackle bus running in a bus lane. That is where most Indian cities have gone wrong with BRT. Bus rapid transit is a combination of the quality and efficiency of rail transit with the flexibility and affordability of a bus. If you want to learn more, go to brtstandard.org. Also, get yourself a copy of BRT guidelines published by the Indian Roads Congress. Let me shift gears now and speak about the mysterious and confounding issue of parking. I will first assess a few commonly held beliefs. First, parking is a birthright. That, dear listeners, is a myth. Imagine you buy an air conditioner. Then you demand from the government, give me a house to fix my AC in. Sounds absurd, doesn't it? Now, replace the air conditioner with a car. You say, government, I bought a car. Now you give my car a rent-free place to live in. And just one place won't suffice. I want three. I want one at my home, one at my workplace, and one at the shopping mall. Isn't that equally absurd? Parking space should be seen for what it is, a form of real estate 
whose supply and price are best determined by the market. It is a commodity, not a public good. Here's another commonly dispensed advice. Multi-level parking will solve the problem. Here's why this is a myth too. Most parking structures in India remain empty. Now, why would anyone use them when they can still park for free on the road wherever they want? The solution is to manage parking on streets first. People may then shift to paid off-street parking. Also, the case for public agencies to subsidize parking with public funds and public lands is rather weak. Did you know that the cost of creating an off-street car parking space and a dwelling unit for a poor family is the same? Nearly half of the population in large Indian cities like Delhi and Mumbai live in slums. Who should get a roof over their heads? The urban poor or the cars of the rich minority? Here's another belief, unfounded again. More parking will solve the problem of parking. Parking is actually like a magnet. It attracts personal motor vehicles. More parking, more traffic, more jams. The choice is yours. Building codes in cities across India require a certain minimum amount of parking to be created as part of a development. Parking is sold bundled with the property, whether or not one needs it. Parking agencies across India have been constantly raising these minimum parking requirements in the last few decades. Isn't it ironic that while space for people, whether it be for residential, commercial or other purposes, is controlled in Indian cities through caps on floor area ratio or FSI, no such limitation exists on parking space. We will soon have more parking for car use than building for human use. Meanwhile, progressive cities in Europe and Latin America have been capping parking supply. That means you cannot build parking even if you want to, especially if you have good access to public transport. So what should Indian cities do? First, manage on-street parking. They must clearly demarcate parking slots where parking is allowed and strictly enforce no parking rules. On many Indian streets, nearly half of the right-of-way is occupied by haphazard parking. By streamlining parking, Precious space can be reclaimed to create wide footpaths, a network of safe cycling tracks, and dedicated lanes for buses. Second, price parking effectively. When the demand is high, the price should be high. Differential parking fees on different streets based on parking demand can spread parking use more evenly. That is, streets with high demand will now have less parking than before, and those with lower demand in the past would have more parking than before. More crucially, it can nudge people to park in privately owned and operated off-street parking structures. The goal should be to move most motor vehicle parking to off-street facilities, thereby freeing up precious street space for mobility, especially by foot, bicycle and buses, but also to create public spaces for people to enjoy being outdoors. Third, Invest revenue smartly. While the goal of parking management is not revenue generation, parking can be a very important source of revenue for most cities. 
on average, every kilometer of priced parking can generate enough revenue to not only add great walking and cycling facilities on that stretch of the street, but also pay for up to 10 additional city buses to serve the area. A win-win, isn't it? Now, you know that the goal of cities should be to create parks, not parking. If you want to learn more, download ITDP's Parking Basics and the European U-Turn. The latter presents case studies of European cities, how they went from the futile exercise of providing parking to capping and pricing parking to cut car use. I kept the best for the last. Walk the talk. In this section, not only will I speak about walking and cycling, but also how some cities are walking the talk. Like birds fly and fish swim, we humans walk. It is the most natural way of mobility and also the most common mode of transportation in Indian cities. For example, in Mumbai, nearly half of all trips are on foot. But are our streets designed to walk? Traffic engineers, not progressive urban planners, design streets in India. Their priority is clear, motor vehicle traffic. First, they decide the size of the carriageway. And if space is left, which rarely is, something called a footpath is added. Time for a pop quiz. What does a footpath mean? Looking at footpaths around us, one wonders if the term means a path that is a foot wide and a foot high. I'm joking. And why are those footpaths so frequently interrupted? Well, they're meant for Indian athletes to practice for the next Olympic hurdles race. Another pop quiz. For whom are foot over bridges? Pedestrians, right? Wrong answer. Foot over bridges and underpasses are for cars. They save poor cars from the inconvenience of stopping for those pesky pedestrians who want to cross the street. But let's not speak ill of the dead. By the way, did you know that each year, 150,000 Indians die in road crashes? That is the equivalent of 350 jumbo jets crashing each year. Let that sink in. How can we stop the killing of so many people? Data shows that there is a near certainty of death when a vehicle hits someone at 60 kilometers per hour or above. Data also shows that people have a high chance of survival even when they are hit by a vehicle but at 30 kilometers per hour or less. We must ask ourselves, what is more important, speed or life? So how should we design streets? Start from the edge rather than the center. Design for safe walking and cycling. Then add the carriageway depending on the available space. Keep the carriageway width even. Uneven carriageway width only results in speeding where they are wide and bottlenecks where they narrow down. On the carriageway, buses must get the priority, then other motor vehicles. On small streets, typically under 9 meters in width, pedestrians, cyclists and motor vehicles can share the space, but with traffic calming. Ensure through design that vehicle speeds don't exceed 15 km per hour. Larger streets, 12 meters or wider, must have dedicated footpaths that are wide and enough to accommodate the foot traffic.
they must be continuous, unobstructed, and shaded. Streets are not just for mobility. We should think of them, especially their edges, as parks where people can meet each other, sit down, and enjoy being outdoors. I cannot emphasize enough the necessity of trees and shade in a climate like ours on streets of all sizes. But these trees must be next to the footpath, not on top of it. Bus stops also require space. Like trees and street furniture, they should be next to the footpath, not on top of it. Street vending is a tricky issue. It can be a boon or a bane. With the right kind of vending activity, streets can be safe, especially for women. But the wrong kind can easily make it unsafe. Without some kind of regulation and active management, vending can be a nuisance. Let's be clear, pedestrians have the first right over the footpath. Large arterials often become a barrier for pedestrians to cross. Remove these barriers. Give pedestrians frequent and safe street level crossings. Once every 200 meters, even on an arterial street. Ensure that there is a safe refuge in the median between the two directions of traffic, especially when pedestrians have to cross two or more lanes of carriageway or direction. Let me shift the track to cycling. Did you ride a cycle when you were a kid? I did, and it was a liberating experience. But unfortunately today, many parents are afraid of sending their children on bicycles. I often hear that Indians no longer cycle but that is far from the truth. The Indian census tells us that trips on bicycles not only outnumber those on cars, they are triple the number, but mostly by low-wage workers. To make cycling a mode of choice, we must create a pan-city network of safe cycling infrastructure. Bits and pieces of cycle tracks that too poorly designed are a waste of resource. And don't even bother marking cycle lanes with paint. They just don't work in the Indian context. On large arterial streets, where the differential in speed between motorized traffic and cyclists is high, dedicated cycle tracks are the way to go. But we must also make neighborhood streets safe to cycle by reducing the speeds through design. It doesn't even cost a lot of money. Give cyclists safe end-to-end -end connectivity and see how things transform. To know more about designing streets, Check out IDDP's Better Streets, Better Cities manual. At the end of the day, transport is not a technical problem. It is a question about the kind of city we want. A dead city flooded with cars, full of parking, bereft of parks. Or a vibrant city for all, where streets are like parks full of happy people. Some Indian cities, Chennai and Pune come to mind, have begun their journeys of transformation. They have city-level policies and street design standards that prioritize walking and cycling and budgets to make their visions real. They are constructing hundreds of kilometers of complete streets. But this is just the beginning. I invite you to transform all of India in the coming decade. Like Margaret Mead aptly put, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. This podcast was meant to be a brief introduction to sustainable urban mobility planning in India. 
I wish I had more time for the bonus section, but that will have to wait. Let me end with a poem I wrote, an ode to better streets, better cities, better lives. Here it goes. Roads clogged with traffic, people always late, no time for family, frustrated, irate. No footpaths, no trees, walking, no mean feet. Those who venture on cycles are threatened by motorist heat. Air choked with poison, sick is our state, restless we wonder, is this forever our fate? Imagine, if streets were rid of traffic, what could you create? Walking gets the top spot, cycling becomes a rage. Driving is so passé, there are cool buses to take, with lanes to call their own, zooming, no more late. Streets, like children's playgrounds, like parks, with tree shade, birds chirping in chorus, what an amazing space. Air, crisp and clear, a joy to inhale. Now, don't you wonder why this isn't innate?